right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. This episode is with Brian Broderick from Day6 Gear and, uh, you know, was Day6 Arrows, but now he's got broadheads and are really excited to get him back onto the show because if I was going to design a broadhead, and you'll hear it in the show, it would look a heck of a lot pretty much like what he, he and Aaron designed. And uh, really excited about this broadhead. I haven't tested it yet or anything. I plan on getting my hands on it pretty soon. But, um, you know, it's a great concept. It's going to be another premium head. It's going to be more expensive than a lot of the $40, $50 ones. I think it's going to be up in the $70 to $80 price range, somewhere around there. And for guys that are looking for another premium option in the market, this is going to be a great, I believe, a great uh, option for you. Uh, Brian goes over some ideas on why, and I pick his brain on the design and, and skill that he uses, and uh, just the, the detail-oriented, methodical-driven um, process of building this head, I really appreciate. So, as always, guys, thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the end of the episode. But, yeah, so you guys did pretty good on your turkey hunts and everything here recently i saw you guys uh had some pictures of dead turkeys and stuff a lot of a lot of turkeys killed um i don't really fool with the turkeys that much that's that's more aaron and and those guys um uh, I, I just i honestly just don't have time uh to do it right now so um Hell, I got three or four thousand arrows to spin every week. <laughs> so, they really can't go turkey hunting. Well, we were we were talking. Okay, so we're officially recording here now, and uh, so we were talking before for, for like I don't know, close to ten minutes. And uh, for guys that are now, um, since we're recording, you're gonna hear Brian spinning and 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 checking all the arrows. And go over what you're doing real quick for me, man, before we actually get into uh, the broadhead part of the episode. No problem. So. Uh, as I get the, uh, the shafts in, uh, from the factory, I go through and hand spin every shaft and I sort them in, uh, basically three categories. Um, industry standard is, is that you're basically checking the center 28 inches of a 32 inch shaft or however long it is. It's the center 28 inches to get mm -hmm. that 1000 straightness average. So what I do is, is I run them all. And as if they spin perfectly end to end, they, they pass. Uh, but I may have a shaft that has a little wobble in the last two inches on the knock in. So I'll sort it with the knock up, uh, in the, in the, uh, sort bucket. And then I may have one that has a little wobble in the last two inches of the point end, and I'll put it in with the point end up or the carbon cut up knocked down in that same uh, bin. That way, when guys order shorter arrows, you know, I can cut, uh, I can cut the, the known end off that's got a little wobble in it and they have, everybody gets perfectly straight arrows. Otherwise, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice because you don't know if a guy's gonna shoot them full length or if a guy's gonna cut them to 26. So that's why I take, all the ones that are perfect for over the whole 32 inches and i put those in one and uh all my bear shafts go out that way because i don't know what the customer's going to cut them to right and then well i the shafts that go to the to the fletcher um i send them uh the full uh the full pass full 32 inch pass shafts as well because again it's an unknown as far as what's going to be cut so anybody okay. that orders bare shafts cut, I'll cut them and sort them based on having 
you know, to make sure they get perfectly straight arrows. Okay. Yep. Well, that's pretty cool because um, I posted a video last night, and I didn't know you did that. <laughs> and I posted a video last night of me spin testing and then videoing each end of the arrow, and I'm looking for, like, any of the wobble that you're talking about. And um, I just kind of thought it was funny uh, that I was doing something that you had already done <laughs> to that probably to that exact arrow for sure to that arrow since you do every single one of them i spent every single shaft yes myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i feel like i almost wasted my time on that then <laughs> well but, but you know you got you you ordered full length shafts so mm -hmm. you, you get the ones that are that are perfect in the end yeah well that's good yeah and and i don't i don't i didn't find one that had even pretty much any wobble on either end of them. I mean, they all spun really well, and that's why um, the first two um, I spun, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm like, I'm going to take the third one and, and then Instagram it, and then that one spun great too. So, I mean, definitely the uh, I, I appreciate attention to detail, man, and, and I thought that was pretty cool that the owner of the company is, is literally spin-checking every single one of those arrows. Well, the reason is, here's, here's the honest truth. If I just battled and battled and battled and held uh, these factories to perfect, perfect 1,000 straightness over the full 32 inches, mm -hmm. their cull rate would be through the roof. Um, and the price would reflect that. And there's no way I would be able to sell these arrows at a reasonable price to people. So right. for me to be able to have the price point um, – uh, where it is, you know, it has to meet the 1000 straightness spec, which is in that, you know, three point check in the center, 28 inches. Mm -hmm. But if I spend the time myself to go through and sort them, uh, then I can keep the price down and guys can still get perfect arrows. And man, you know, listen, I probably spend probably 10 or 12 hours a week doing it, but I think it's worth it. Well, absolutely, because then you're you're just knocking. Basically, you're just cutting off any problems or any errors in the arrows that a customer may find and be dishappy with. You're getting rid of all those factors, and for like guys that are buying your product, in my opinion, and and you can tell me if I'm off base here, but for guys that are buying your product, they're looking for a higher end product. They're gonna expect more when they buy it, and you're giving that to them by yeah. doing what you're doing right here. Yeah, for so, sure. I mean, it's you know. We, we get the wide spectrum of, of, of customers. I mean, we get the guys that are really not sure what they need. They don't have the background or the experience to know how to go through the process. So they're basically entrusting us to give them, you know, the best hunting arrow they can get. Uh, and then yeah. you've got the guys like you that understand all the details and you just want a good foundation to build your arrow from. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm busy as well. Um, you know, I'm sure you, you're extremely busy just listening to you talk here. And if I can save myself knowing that if Brian already did that, I don't have to. I can just basically basically cut one end off this arrow, save myself some time of spin testing all of them. Right. That's just, that's just saving me time that I don't have to worry about, you know, when I'm shooting a broadhead, why, why is it not shooting or, or anything like that? Because I know that you spun test all of them right there, so it's probably something on my end. Well, so. I'll be totally honest with you. I don't put as much stock, we've talked about this, into straightness mm -hmm. as I do spine tolerance. And, right, same here. Yeah, and so 
if I'm going to pick a battle to fight with my factory, it's going to be spine tolerance. I'm not going to battle with them over, you know, a little bit like a 3,000 straightness run out in the last two inches of a shaft when I know I can use it uh, and, and have a perfectly straight shaft. I am really pushing them hard on the spine tolerance. So in the beginning, the first three months we were in business last year, uh, basically uh, September, October, November, um, I did not do this. Um, I trusted, you know, the factory to provide me what I was paying for. Um, mm -hmm. But I realized that the only thing that guys can actually check and feel comfortable about themselves is the straightness because they can buy a $20 arrow spinner. Right. So, <laughs> so I feel like, you know, if I'm going to put my name on something that I'm going to send it to them to win to where they see it, it's, it's perfect when they get it in the way they can check it. Um, yeah, perceived value kind of. Yeah. And, and there's very few guys that can, can, uh, you know, have the equipment to check the spine tolerance, but that's what I am hyper focused on. And, um, and that's really where I really hold the factory accountable. Um, but the way we build them, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier for these guys to maintain a very consistent spine just on the, the way I've got them, uh, laminating up the arrows. Yeah. Well, I, 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 literally in the last podcast, you and I are pretty much identical you know, as far as the way way we think, which makes me feel good because you really you really know your shit, and so it makes me feel like I'm on the right path there. But um, you know, I the spine tolerance. I was having a conversation with um, a guy named Kyle the other day. He's actually going to come onto the podcast. And you remember that equation I was wanting about the diminishing diminishing returns? Yes. Um, I think he actually already has that or has created one. Um, he's an engineer and so we're going to have him on the podcast here, I think towards the end of the month or early next month. Right. And, uh, I'm really excited about that podcast cause I'm, I'm wanting to kind of hear the math and, and figure out exactly what he's got going on. But it sounds pretty much like what you and I were talking about. So yeah, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, well, this, this podcast is actually, um, turning the corner here about your, your broadhead that you came out. And uh, after you and I got off uh, the podcast last time, we talked for quite a while. And um, I don't remember if you told you said it first or I said it first, but the way I remember it is like because you uh, talked about doing a broadhead. I'm like, my perfect broadhead would be uh, the bleeder up front like a dirt nap and then a very similar design to an iron wheel. And then you're like, well, <laughs> I've got something pretty much coming around the corner yeah. <laughs> and uh and i was like oh sweet and then i you know kind of you told me that no don't go shut my mouth everywhere about it so i've had to like kind of well i have had to keep it hush hush and now i can talk about it and i'm kind of like super excited to, to pick your brain on it and and to uh introduce people to something that i would consider one of the best designed broadheads out there yep um and I'm not just saying that to, to stroke your ego. I, I no. think it, if I remember the conversation correctly, I told you what I, what I was thinking of a broadhead. And then you pretty much said, that's, that's what we're building. Yeah. Well, I asked um, you, I said, cause you asked me about it. And, uh, I said, well, before we get into the conversation, describe to me your perfect broadhead. 
if you were going to design your yeah. own, decide, describe to me your perfect broadhead. And mm -hmm. so you basically um, described it. And I can't remember if I sent you a picture or not. Um, no. No, but I said, well, you just – You've just described the head, so <laughs> you, you got all hot and bothered then, and then I had to, you know, talk, talk you down off the ledge there because you were. Yeah, you did. You were ready to get them in your hand right then, so. <clears throat> I was. <laughs> okay, that 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 sounds pretty accurate because uh, yeah, okay, you've got a better memory than I do. You, if you, if we ever hang out together, you're gonna be like, man, you're an idiot. You're so spacey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure that's how it went, and, and uh, so. I'm I'm waiting to see the broadhead that I mentally designed in my dreams, um, and I can't wait to get my hands on them. But tell me exactly what, how you came to this design, and um, you know what, why you feel that this would be a good design, and then I'll kind of, uh, I guess, build off of that. Yeah. Well, it, well first off, it was not, uh, it was not just me. I, I want to make that clear. Uh, this was a collective. Uh, collective process between Aaron Snyder and myself. A um, mm. uh, lot of arguments, a lot of debates over fine details. Um, but with regards to uh, um, the overall concept, shape, design, I mean, it was the same exact conversation you and I had. It was, mm -hmm. you know, we had the same dream broadhead uh, in our head. And so that was the easy part. So, um, you know, one of the things that Aaron wanted to do, uh, well, let me just back up. So let's, let's start with the overall shape. Is that what you want to talk about first? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just basically, um, I mean, cause it, for guys that haven't seen it, it looks like an iron wheel with the bleeder of a dirt nap. Yep. Um, we're, the position of it. Um, and I didn't like the angle of, of the iron wheels bleeder. I wanted something that kind of was a little bit softer angle. That's right. Um, and you know, if you look at your head, you've kind of, you've, you've made a less steep angle off the bleeder and you, and you moved it farther forward. Um, but I guess what would be your reasoning for going with, with the shape and with the bleeder versus no bleeder. And, um, there's some things about this broadhead. I didn't know you were going to do with the replaceable, uh, blades and stuff like that. So I'd be love to pick your brain on that too. But yeah, I guess just go into the overall design and, and why you kind of went with that body, the blade, um, you know, I, I want to get into it all. All right. No problem. So first off, the most important thing is to establish, uh, you know, what a broadhead is supposed to do and how a broadhead uh, kills effectively. Uh, there's no mm -hmm. other way to word it than that. Okay. So a broadhead uh, causes um, death and trauma by hemorrhage. Um, mm -hmm. It is you are one hundred percent trying to to bleed out an animal quickly. Um, the most effective way to create hemorrhage um, and to slice um, uh, uh, organic tissue is razor sharpness okay so if that was not the case we would be getting surgery with hatchets and cleavers instead of scalpels so number one the most important thing um the most important thing when it comes to a broadhead is sharpness i don't care what anybody else says 
shoot them into steel, block, concrete, whatever the hell you want to do. If the damn thing ain't sharp, scalpel sharp, it's all for naught, okay? So mm-hmm. that's the number one thing. So that is achievable, uh, but it has a lot of factors that contribute to it. Number one, uh, what type of steel, uh, how the steel is made, um, you know, the different content of the different components, um, to achieve, uh, some steels, you know, let's just call them, they're more chunky and other steel compact, you know, uh, steels are more powdery. And so of course the chunky steel is going to be harder to maintain or harder to achieve a scalpel edge than like a powdery steel. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It does. Yep. But you've got to have, uh, you've got to have strength, uh, in that steel or it's not going to hold up. So there's all these things you're, you're basically trying to get 10 gallons, uh, to, to fit in a five gallon bucket. All right. <laughs> so, okay. and there are steels out there that will do what you want, but they're expensive. Okay. And they all have trade-offs. You may have one that's just tough as hell. Uh, you can sharpen it like crazy, but it may end up being brittle because it's chunky. Uh, and I'm using very general terms, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, and it'll rust. So there may be another steel that may be, you know, um, the perfect steel to get the perfect edge. It may not be as tough. It may break. Um, and, uh, but it will hold an edge because it's a powder form. So you've got to go through basically these four points, uh, and try to find the perfect steel to fit in those four points and, and, and basically, um, achieve those four characteristics or responsibilities that steel has to do to perform the best blade. So Mm -hmm. we'll come back to the steel, but that's kind of the, the hard part is that's kind of the first thing you've got to get into when you're, uh, trying to achieve the sharpest edge possible. Okay. So then the other thing is, is, uh, one of the four things is that, that steel being able to maintain its edge. Uh, basically how tough is that edge going to be? Will it roll over? Will it, will it dull faster? Will it stay sharper, um, longer, that kind of thing. Okay. So, one of the things that contributes to a blade uh, maintaining its edge is blade angle. So mm-hmm. if sharpness is the number one thing, the most important thing to me in my mind, I've got to con- figure out all of the things to improve uh, the sharpness of that blade. Uh, what type of material we use and then equally as important blade angle um, because blade angle does two things for you. Number one, if you have a blade angle that is not chopping, but rather slicing, um, it is going to create a lot more hemorrhage. Uh, it's going to cut better and cut deeper. Uh, if you take a razor sharp knife and you set it on your finger and you just push straight down, 
think about the pressure that it takes, that it would take to push all the way through down to the bone. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if you take that same knife and just hold it at the end of the handle and just use the weight of the knife itself and draw it across your finger, it'll slice it right to the bone. And that's mm -hmm. why you hear slicing because you, that's what you want is a blade to slice, not chop. So blade angle is super important for creating better hemorrhage, deeper wounds, but it also is super important um, to maintain the sharpness longer. So if that blade is an aggressive blade angle and is, and is basically cutting perpendicular to the path of travel, it's basically like an ax effect, you know, um, hmm. which dulls extremely fast. If it's a very slight blade angle and it's slicing along its side and the blade basically is almost parallel with the, with the path of travel, it's slicing. It's not putting as much stress on that edge and it's maintaining that edge longer throughout the entire path, uh, through the animal. So all of those things are super important. Uh, again, it's 10 gallons in a five gallon bucket. You've got to figure out what's going to spill over and what's the most important to keep in there. Um, right. So, uh, so what we did was, is we knew Aaron and I both agreed right off the bat on the shape. Um, uh, we both, uh, both love that, that convex, uh, continuous radius shape. Um, number one, it creates the best of both worlds. Uh, you hear guys talk about a Tonto tip, um, for strength. Well, if you look at a convex shape head, um, you know, like a, like an old Maasai spear type shape, you know, if you look at that shape, it starts with like a Tonto tip shape, but then it right. gradually transitions around to a very low blade angle. So when you hear guys say the greatest broadheads are the three to one, you know, three inches long, one inches wide, one inch wide. It's not because of that size is the, is the, is the factor that has nothing to do with it. Uh, a three inch wide, I mean, a three inch long broadhead with a one inch wide blade has a very slight blade angle that travels parallel with the path of the arrow. So, and that was, you know, when broadheads were first being made, that was the easiest way to achieve that blade shape. So now you can take uh, an inch and a half long broadhead with that convex shape, you can accomplish a very durable, tough, like uh, Tonto tip, if you want to call it, that's just the term, but a, a tougher, you know, uh, point. Uh, but then you can very gradually, easily transition around. And now you've got that same gentle blade angle to slice like a three to one hit. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. The other thing is, um, a rounded shape, uh, a radius arc rounded shape is very superior, uh, with regards to strength. Um, you know, it, it, a rounded shape is stronger than, uh, a, a straight line. That's why dams are arced. Does that make sense? It does. I never thought of that though. Yeah. So, um, 
So anything strong, structural you ever see, it's always arched. You know, you've always got all the supports are arched. You know, bridges, um, uh, barrels, you know. I mean, you could take a barrel with the same material uh, and make it square, and it wouldn't hold. It would, it would bulge out and break. But you put it in the round shape, and it's stronger. So a radius hmm. shape is always stronger. The only reason, well, I'm not going to say this, but a lot of the reasons that broadhead manufacturers don't use that shape, it is very expensive to have made because it's expensive to grind and sharpen because you have to build a jig uh, that goes into the grinding and sharpening machines. Mm -hmm. And most of those are set up for straight lines. Can you imagine hmm. having to build a jig and, and, and a program that's going to have to follow a continuous radius and maintain a perfect edge? Very difficult yeah. to do. So when I was going through the process of trying to get these boogers made and I'd send them the design, they're like, oh, we'll just do, can you do this? And they'd send me a drawing back and it's basically what everybody else makes. Mm -hmm. You know, tanto tip shape, then a straight line and you've got straight lines they can sharpen from. That's not what I wanted, so that was the one of the main challenges we faced uh, having these things produced. Hmm. So I guess where I go from there is you guys could have went um, with a with a longer head, and then maybe had a. Well, no, I guess you guys couldn't have because then that would have changed your 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 uh, your broadhead angle. Um, that's right and keep in mind yeah everybody wants a hundred grain and a 125 grain head right so you yeah. can't you can't just make the blade two inches long because then you don't have right. enough you, then you don't have enough you know mass material left over uh to build a strong ferrule because you've used up all your weight mass in your blade that's why everybody's blades are vented hmm is to achieve weight. So now here we are trying to do uh, a three to one blade angle. We're basically trying to create the blade, recreate the blade angle of a three inch long head. We're also adamant, Aaron and I are adamant that our broadheads are going to be solid, not vented because we're both yep. psychotic about quiet, you know, everything being quiet. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it's stronger, of course. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, vented blades, uh, you know, they grab hair, meat, mass, bone chips, and it slows down penetration. So now we've got to try to replicate a, uh, basically a three to one angle blade. Um, we want a solid head, but we've also got to, uh, make the blade thick, strong, uh, impact proof. Um, and we've got to get it in a hundred grains. The 125 is not that bad. The 100 grain, that's the kick in the ding ding. <laughs> well, you guys have the, you said the S30V for the blades. Yes. But the ferrule is titanium. Well, the, the, the ferrule for the, uh, um, the ferrule for the 100 grain uh, standard width head is titanium. And then the 125 is hardened stainless. Um, and then when you go to the wider head, uh, the 125 is titanium ferrule, and then the 150 is the hardened stainless. The 
the, 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 okay. the, the tempered or hardened stainless, whatever terms people are familiar with. It's the strongest you can. It's the strongest setup you can use. It's stronger than titanium. Uh, mm. Titanium achieves a great strength to weight ratio. Um, again, if we wanted to be like everybody else and just do an aluminum barrel. Problem solved. Mm -hmm. But there's no place well, in my mind for aluminum in a broadhead because there's just not enough mass material there to provide strength. Aluminum is strong uh, as long as you've got enough mass of that aluminum there. But with a small broadhead barrel, there's no way to create that strength uh, because you're having to cut it, notch it, drill holes through it, you know, taper it, thread it, and there's not a whole lot left. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys went with the non-vented non -vented as well because I'm, I'm of the same mindset where I want quiet and I feel like anything uh, vented or any, any extra space in the broadhead is going to slow it down or grab that flesh. And I, I, I just, I don't know, I, I'm totally on board with this broadhead. It's, it's, uh, it's funny, but um, the back of the blades, you can see where it comes back over the ferrule a little bit and is that where the would it come actually sit over the arrow no no bit? and that's all right so let me back up so for everybody that's seen the pictures on the old interweb um mm -hmm. aaron uh snyder basically does all of day six's instagram social media stuff because he's very good at it it's what he does for a living um mm -hmm. and i'm not uh I, I have to run two companies and I have to work. I have a family. Uh, I, I can't, I can't do this. Well, Aaron's job at Kafaru is, you know, one of his main things is managing marketing and social media. So he's already engaged in doing this. So it's easy for him to basically stay in the loop, you know, capture uh, photos and posts from our customers and, what mm -hmm. he can do in 15 seconds would take me 15 minutes. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, I sent those, uh, you know, those, um, prototypes to Aaron and he posted them cause he just was so excited. Um, mm -hmm. but those were very loose prototypes. So for people that saw them, there's some gaps, uh, between the blades. Um, mm -hmm. but that was our very first, basically test to see how the fit was going to be, what the actual weights were going to be compared to what the computer told us. You know, it was just a rough, a rough form. You know, we made uh, quite a few of them because we wanted to test with them and hunt with them. We didn't care if there were some tolerance issues uh, for that because we knew that that's part of the thing that we were going to have to, you know, tweak. That's the right. whole point of building you know, 50 prototypes and shoot them, shooting them and hunting with them. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of people that do that. Most people design their, their head, they have it made and what they get is what they get, you know? So, um, right. so anyway, we wanted to build a, a basically a field testable prototype that we could hunt and shoot. And that's what we did. So when he put those pictures out, you know, it is like if I sent you uh, the final set, you would probably not notice the difference. The average guy would not notice any different than the pictures. Mm -hmm. But one of the things is, yes, we had to slide the blade forward 
uh, a 30 seconds of an inch because it was hanging past the back of the ferrule uh, on the right. prototype. Uh, you know, there were some where the, the tip of the ferrule uh, plays out at the bleeder. There's some daylight there. Uh, so we had, yep. to, we had to extend the ferrule, um, you know, like a 16th of an inch to make sure everything um, uh, fit perfect and was, and was covered. Uh, additionally, I noticed that if we did extend that ferrule a little bit farther forward and, and, and encapsulated a little more of the base of the bleeder, it would make it that much stronger, which was very appealing to me. Um, hmm. So uh, that's why we ran a rough prototype first. So that's what you saw. Uh, and we made, let's say, 5% changes that no one would really ever notice. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying the back of the blade no longer hangs over where the arrow would would connect uh, to the end of the that's ferrule. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. It's flush. That was. It's flush with the back of the ferrule now. Yeah. I would okay. never let anything like that go out. <laughs> and you know, because what I saw, I'm like, awesome. And then I'm like, well, then then the things that you just pointed out, I'm like, okay. Um, you know, I'm like, I didn't know how close you guys were to having a final prototype. in, in Aaron's video, he's like, this is one of the final prototypes, you know, you know, we're getting, getting there with it. Yeah. Something like that. And I'm like, well, like you noticed, um, one of the, some of the things I saw, I'm like, okay, there's daylight at the front of the ferrule where the bleeder comes That's out. That's right. And I'm like, there's, there's a lot of daylight around it too. I'm like, okay. So yeah, all that, like, I, I was, all that's encapsulated down into the ferrule deeper. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cause that was something I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys already addressed that before you came out with them. Yeah. You can't, you can't just, you can't just go off of what an engineer draws, send you a picture of, send it, send it off and get it milled and go, you know, I hope it works. Uh, then, mm -hmm. then we'd be like everybody else. You know, I mean, you, you gotta, I mean, you gotta try it, fit it, shoot it, see what's wrong because quite frankly, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to go invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars in these broadheads and get them made and have, you know, all these broadheads made packaged, ready to go. And then find something like that and go, crap, this is right. right. And then I've got to, you know, dance and BS around it. I'm not doing that. Right. So we weren't going to show the pictures. Uh, we had people driving us and we still do driving us crazy which we're happy about wanting us to do a pre-sale on the on the broadheads and I, you know aaron tells me that it's industry it's industry standard it's common whatever um to do that but in my mind i just feel like it's i, I feel like it's a it's selling a promise. It's like, here's what we're going to do. Give us money. Um, mm -hmm. And I've just never been that way. I'd rather say, here's what we've done. I hope you like it. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I was at with it. So to kind of appease everybody, to give everybody at least a look at what we're doing, that's why we you know, shared the pictures and the videos. Okay. Yeah. Well, it definitely got people talking and excited about it and stuff. And there's some features with it that I, I, I didn't even think of when I was when we had our conversation a while ago. Is replaceable blades? Absolutely. Um, 
I've always been, I've always considered replaceable blades with a lesser quality uh, of steel um, or a weaker head or something like that. But you guys are, are using the higher end steel, but also using um, replaceable blades. And I've kind of always, kind of right or wrong, I've always had it in my head, you know, replaceable blades, probably not as durable as just a single piece construction um, like a like a cutthroat or something like that yeah you're talking um, you're talking about a uh a, a, a one-piece machined head yeah yeah and yeah see, I, I am totally opposite of that um uh some of my favorite heads uh designs and shapes uh some of them have been one piece you know forged heads or whatever the problem mm -hmm. is is that i uh am never going to be able to um I am never going to be able to achieve the edge uh, that these factories with this wonderful equipment can achieve. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to achieve a, a, a you know a microscopic razor edge, and that is what kills animals. It's not how great it performs shooting through a steel plate. Mm -hmm. um, so. And I'll tell you this, when it comes to breaching bone, again, the number one factor for breaching bone is sharpness. I'm telling you, it is sharpness. It's not any of the other things that you're thinking. The sharper blade will breach bone better every single time, period. And it is proven. There's, this isn't me coming up with it. I mean, this is totally proven. So... The only way to really truly achieve that is with a replaceable blade broadhead. The other thing is, is that with these one piece heads, there's no way that they can achieve the tolerance that we can achieve, achieve by machining a, uh, uh, a, a feral to one thousandths tolerance plus or minus mm -hmm. one thousandths. It, it can't be done. Um, and then, the blade, the ferrule, everything is machined to one thousandths tolerance. And so when you put it together, you know, you're talking about maybe a two or three thousandths fudge factor just don't fit to where these one piece blades, uh, heads, I mean, we've talked to these factories, they're not going to give you any guarantee uh, closer than ten thousandths as far as tolerance. And normally they hmm. can't get that. Um, so just not really what I'm looking for. The other thing is, is that when you take a, a very expensive one piece head and you miss and hit a rock and you knock a giant chip out of that blade, that head is done. It's completely done. With these, you can pull the blade out and put a new blade in and you still have a very expensive usable head. To where hmm. now you've got a very expensive usable paperweight if it's got a chip right. in a one-piece head. So, and then to kind of wrap up the replaceable blade theory, which is what Aaron and I both wanted, you know this. When you're on a backpack mountain hunt, when you come in at night, you literally have just enough energy to make your food, crawl into your sleeping bag, and go to sleep. So 
if you've missed that day and you've got three, you know, two or three heads that have to be resharpened, who has the energy to do that? And you've got to carry your sharpening stuff into the field with you. So right. I'd much rather have, you know, six blades, six broadheads, and then I'd rather have six scalpel sharp blades in a turkey call case stuck stuff in my pack that doesn't weigh anything and take up any space. So if that's the case, literally if I miss an elk, you know, three times, which I've done, uh, I can retrieve those arrows, sit down, you know, um, berate myself while I'm changing out the three blades and I'm back hunting again in, you know, two minutes. Hmm. So have you guys, um, had any problems with, with, um, the, the Allen head or anything like that in your guys' testing or any, any problems with the connection points or anything like that with durability? No. So that, that all comes in the design. So basically what you're wanting to do is, is you're wanting to, to design a head the way they go. To... I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. Cause we've already got people trying to make arrows like ours. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and you, you know where I'm going with this. Right, right, yeah. right. All I would say is, is the Allen screw, it's, it, it serves one purpose and that is to blade basically allow for the blade to be changed out and, you know, index it and hold it in place, but there's no structural value or, or in, there's no structural demands placed on the screw. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Okay. Yes. There's a lot of them that you have these great heads and the whole strength of the head hinges on this tiny little Allen screw. Uh, and anyway, that's, that, yeah. that's, that's all the purpose. That's all I'll say is, is that's just the purpose of it there. Okay. Well, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm always, I always get a little wheezy when you start adding pieces to a broadhead. I'm like, yeah, so, <laughs> but that's just from personal experience with, with prior broadheads. But yeah, well, I, ha um, I had a design that did not require a screw, um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't as strong because really? you know, my dream was to do it where you could change it out without having to deal with an Allen screw, but there was no way to achieve the same strength uh, that we've got with this design. So, hmm. um, I mean, I, 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 we've been doing, we've been working on this for a couple of years. You know, it's not like we just decided recently to do this, you know? Yeah. I honestly well, thought the broadheads would, would be available, would be our first product. Really? Yeah. That's how long I've been messing around with this. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Um, so I guess what would be you, some other questions is, because uh, I'm not a metal expert, but I've always heard, you know, most guys are going between 50 and 60 for a Rockwell. That's correct. Um, where are you guys at with, with your Rockwell and why did you choose that? Well, I'm not, I'm not a, a metallurgist or, you know, of that either. So <laughs> I have to trust the guys that do know. Uh, and fortunately, mm -hmm. I've got uh, some great guys to lean on. Uh, that know their stuff inside and out and it's what they do for a living. Um, mm -hmm. and so to achieve what, what we felt like the best strength was to be between 58 and 60. And that's where we are. So, uh, if, if I had to give an average of our, 
of our Rockwell hardness after our heat treatment process, it's 59. So, okay. Yeah. And so that and seems we, pretty strong. We, we heat treat the, uh, the ferrules as well, the stainless. Okay. That was, that was going to be another question is, is do you guys heat treat them? Cause I've heard there's a lot of benefits and this is just from like you listening to the guys that know what they're saying, yep. that heat, heat treating is a, is a very important and then not always performed on heads. That's correct. Um, it's it, it, normally it's, I mean, I'd say it more often than not, not done. Really? Yeah. Well, it's damn sure not done on, on heads with aluminum barrels. Well, have you guys tested um, penetration versus other similar heads uh, like the Iron Wheel or the Dirt Naps or blades um, without bleeders or versus three blades? Have you done any penetration tests with these things yet? We have. Awesome. What did you guys find? Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not ever going to talk about another product. Um, mm-hmm. Not, I'm just not going to be that guy to do that. I'm not going to compare mine to others. I know that is what the internet is for. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll let them do that. Um, what I would say is, is that with all the testing we've done, we are extremely happy with what we have. Uh, and it por- performs exactly the way we hoped it would. Um, okay. So, um, if it didn't, they would not be going into production. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know, I, I believe you're friends with, with Bill and everything. Yeah, and so there's, sure. there's, there's, you know, there's, there's respect there and I, and I appreciate that. And it's, um, you know, for, for some guys that are out there on the internet, I'm sure they're like, well, you're just stealing or copying. I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of different technology. I'm not say technology, a lot of different design going into this thing just looking at it um and granted the shape of it is probably more like an iron wheel but where the well i would, bleeder I would comes say in the, the size would be more mm-hmm. accurate not the shape i'd probably have to agree with that too obviously just looking at it um but it's but it's also similar to a dozen other broadheads that same size <laughs> that's true yeah. well the the ones that it's getting compared to are the ones that are um, I, I think probably in the price range and your price range is actually uh, a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Um, uh, which I, you know, getting under that hundred dollars probably was a little bit of a challenge, but especially with the material you guys are using and stuff. Well, this is, this is, this is the way I look at it. Okay. So when I started this process, when I first started it and first started doing the research and talking to, to factories and, and, you know, different companies to help us with this, Mm-hmm. I thought these heads were going to be $150. Um, oh, Jesus. Because what most of these factories are used to are guys coming in saying, okay, we want to buy, you know, a uh, thousand. We want to have a thousand barrels made. And we want to have, uh, you know, 3,000, uh, or I'm sorry, a thousand blades made and a and thousand bleeders made. And so. Mm-hmm. That's the volumes they're used to, to dealing with. And so the pricing is uh, reflective of that. So when you first start the process and you're dealing with companies that are catering to the outdoor industry and catering to basically other broadhead companies, you're getting small volume pricing. 
So hmm. I realized very quickly this crap ain't gonna work. Uh, I I know why um, some of these heads are a uh, hundred plus dollars. Uh, I get it, but I also know that there's similar products in other industries that are a third of that. So what I did was is looked outside of that, um, you know, outdoor close knit outdoor broadhead manufacturing type um, group and, and went into some other uh, uh, industries, if you will, and started researching um, uh, my product and, and trying to get it made in those um, uh, areas, um, those industries. And then, of course, also I knew that I had to be able to give them some pretty substantial quantities to make it work. Uh, you know, hence getting, paying an extremely high amount of money to get 50 complete prototypes made uh, mm -hmm. to be able to test, measure, stress test, shoot, do everything we want to do before we, you know, went and built 15,000, um, but hmm. at a time. So, but that's what it was going to take to get a high quality head to where people could actually afford it. So, hmm. um, and listen, you know, you've brought up the steel a lot. Um, you know, we use S 30 V. Uh, it's what, after our research and talking to the people that we rely on, uh, for, um, you know, help and insight, I'm not going to say who some of these people were, but if I did, they would be they're very highly respected people in their field that specialize in, in this type of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, S30V kept coming to the top, kept coming to the top, kept coming to the top. The only thing that it was uh, a, basically a lesser performer on than A2, which A2 steel was the, the other steel that kept coming to the top, the only thing that the S30V uh, underperformed on was impact toughness. But that was done in its raw form, not heat treated. Okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I say that it underperformed, what I've realized is, is that knife makers, um, the knife making industry, uh, people in the metal, uh, metal industry, uh, fine metals, if you think we geek out on details, these jokers take it to a whole nother, another level. I mean, they, <laughs> they, uh, fully, fully, you know, come out of the nerdery. So, okay. So when I start talking to guys are like, yeah, well, the S30B, you know, is not going to, uh, be, uh, as tough on impact as the A2 until you heat treat it. But then when you heat through A2, it's strong too. But what you're doing is once you start the heat treating process, however you do that, you close that gap. And I'm listening to all this going, okay, okay, I got it. And then I realized that these guys are talking about one or 2% Garrett. Hmm. And I'm going, wait a second. You mean I've been spending months listening to all this jazz, geeking out on all this stuff. And you're talking about, one or two percent difference 
that's not even that doesn't even show up on the radar. And then the other three characteristics that are super important to us are 25 and 30 percent better. Why are we even having this conversation? So, so we decided to go with the S30V because to us that is the you know superior material to use. Now, let me say this: it would have been super super easy to go with the A2, and believe me, I was tempted. Um, because number one, it's what a lot of our competitors use. So there's really no change there. Number two, it is half the price. Um, number three, it is readily available at every single factory that makes blades, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody has it. When we went to the S30B spec, it basically wiped 90% of our options off the table with regards to blade manufacturing. So mm. twice as much for the material and very limited with factories that use it. Um, because it is an expensive material that most people don't want to pay the money for. Until you get into high-end custom stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. So um, it's just not a product that you see in high volume applications because of its expense. Um, so A2 would have been the easy path. And believe me, I thought, of, thought about it as I was going through these struggles over the last year trying to get these things made. But we knew what we wanted and we weren't going to bend from that and we weren't going to stray from it. So that's, that's why we went the direction we went. So that, the advantage, I find that really interesting because well, not to, not to cut no, you no, off here. Ahead. I was talking to Luke, um, if from tooth of the arrow broadheads. Well, Luke, I was talking to Luke and, and we were talking, uh, he's the owner of tooth of the arrow. And, um, I was like, why do you see so many broadheads coming to the market every year? And he's like, cause for most people, the the bear, you know, the cost of entry is pretty low. You just tell them what you want, the design you want, and then you you know you're done. And um, he's like, most guys are just you know coming up with a simple design and, and just hitting the market with it and trying to have good marketing. And paraphrasing there, but he's like, basically the cost of entry is pretty low. For you guys, it doesn't sound like you went that. Well, it definitely doesn't sound like you went that route. You guys are putting a lot of money into the front end to get what you want on the back end. Well, let me, let me say this, not brand specific, but it would scare you to know how many of your favorite broadheads are all made mm -hmm. in the same factory. Hmm. It is, it is, it is. Once I got into this industry and started figuring it out and realized that, Lots and lots of these people all go to the same company to have them made. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there going, man, that, there is no way I'm just going to fall in line and just keep doing the same thing. If I'm going to do that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make one, you know? So right. these companies, yeah, you can, one in particular, I mean, you can go to them and, you know, get 500 heads made. Hmm. So yeah, there's no barrier of entry there. Once, right. once you get up with the materials 
uh, and the and the design like what we're using, you can't you can't go into those you know basically you know piggyback factories where they're just piggybacking off what somebody else is doing and have yours made. You've got to you actually got to go out and, and source it with stuff outside the industry for the most part. Hmm. That's interesting. This whole well, I want to go kind of kicking the butt. I can tell you that. It, it, well, you guys, obviously it's been probably what, two years at least in the, in, in the idea or the making of this broadhead then. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah I thought, I literally uh, thought we would have, uh, the day six broadheads be our first release, uh, not the arrows. Cause I thought the arrows, you know, getting the logistics and manufacturing done on those would take a lot longer. And, you know, where it took a year, the broadheads took two. Hmm. I, I'm curious to talk about the bleeders a little bit. And, and the main reason I wanted to put that bleeder farther forward yeah. is pretty much the same reason you guys did, but you guys probably got a little bit more in, in depth with it, is I wanted to open up a hole sooner so the rest of everything could pass through. Yeah. Before, um, before we get into that, let me, let's, let's button up that last that last yeah, conversation go ahead. because um, a, a lot of what I was saying there was more of the negative attribute type stuff. I want to I want to kind of tie that up before we move on. So with regards to our Let's choice of blade steel, we had four four um, uh, characteristics: um, impact toughness, how easy it is to sharpen. Um, uh, how easy it is how easy it is to sharpen edge retention how long it will retain its edge okay mm -hmm. and corrosiveness those were our four things whether it's going to rust or not how long it will maintain its edge how easy it is to sharpen and how tough it is so in corrosiveness uh, or non-corrosiveness uh, edge retention, sharpenability, it blows the others away. With impact toughness, it's within two or three percent. So of of the of the A2, I'll just use the A2, okay, because that's what people keep referring to. So once mm -hmm. it's heat treated, it's within two or three percent of the A2. What you'll see is, is you'll see all these graphs that show how strong the steel is in this head and how the other steels compare. Well, if you look at, look, the notes will say, this is assuming, you know, that the other steel is not heat treated to the same process as ours. It's not apples to apples. They're using the other steels in a raw form compared to their heat treated steel that's doubled their strength. Does that make sense? It does. So don't, if you want to look at why we use S30V, mm -hmm. go on the internet and look at the actual steel material comparisons outside the broadhead industry, and you'll get all the information you need. If you look at it inside the broadhead industry, um, you're going to see a little bit of skewed information. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that a customer needs to think of is, is that if, if some of the other steels were better than what we're using, 
and they were half the price and readily available, why wouldn't we have used it? That right. pretty much answers any question you might need. So, and what's funny is, is that with our costs for our raw materials higher, we still figured out a way to get them to where they're competitively priced um, compared to the other high, high, high end heads. So hmm. I just wanted to wrap that up Garrett, because I felt like we left that a little open because we didn't talk about the other three uh, characteristics. I, I, I just can't see, see somebody spend a hundred dollars on three broadheads that are going to rust. Right. No, and I, I've seen that complaint with, with some of the premium broadheads out there is like, man, you know, I put them away and then I went back to go grab them next season. They're rested. And I was like, well, in Oregon, that's definitely going to happen. <laughs> well, and, and, and blood is crazy corrosive. Yeah. Yeah. And then the yeah. other thing is, is you know what the number one in, in, enemy of a, of a sharp edge is? I would be curious to hear. No. Rust. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> See, the, I, that's... it's the it's the thinnest part of the of the metal. It's the thinnest part of the blade. It's going to oh, be the, fastest, too hard. the first place and the fastest place to corrode and rust. Hmm. So yeah, I was thinking too hard. I was thinking a harder metal. Oh, no, keep it simple, stupid man. So you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. yeah, no, I I appreciate you doing that, and it sounds um, it kind of sounds like from a design. Um, that your that you, some of your principles are, are Ashby's um, principles: sharpness, durability, absolutely, um, and stuff like that. And so it's for the guys that are that are following Ashby, um, you know. And that's kind of how I form some of my opinions: is taking bits and pieces from the things that I read. And and you're you're following very similar to what what he would suggest too, as well as far as what you look for. Absolutely, when it comes to uh... Uh, blade design, uh, uh, blade performance. I believe, wholeheartedly believe, and 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 appreciate all the work he's done uh, in eighty percent of what his his opinions are. Um, yeah. And his findings. So. So you would probably stray away. That twenty percent would probably just from learning. You know about you and our conversations is the FOC. <laughs> well, we're, we're just talking about broadheads. You know, right. Yeah, I, yeah, you're not going to get me to that's say that, that dirty word and, and start all That's that twenty percent, I'm guessing. So, yeah. <laughs> but well, let's. Um, so, if you're if you're or go oh, sorry, no, go ahead. So, with what he's saying is, is one of the things that they talk about is sharpness, which we agree. Right. Uh, the three to one ratio, which gets the mechanical mechanical advantage, we agree on, but we accomplish it uh, with our blade shape. Um. We're, we're getting that three to one blade angle in a shorter head, which accomplishes the same thing. We're in agreement there, but we just get better flight. And of course, a tougher head and a, and a more compact, shorter shape. Um, mm -hmm. Where we do stray is uh, single bevel. Um, mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with a single bevel head. Um, uh, and let me say where I stray. I'm speaking for myself here, but um, there's nothing wrong with a single bevel head. When they're sharpened, they work great. Um, the, the concept of a single bevel head creating rotation uh, on its own 
outside of the rotation the arrow is already experiencing. In my mind uh, and in others that uh, fly stuff into space, um, that is not accurate. Um, if those opposing bevels did create rotation, um, you know, a plane's fuselage would be 90% wide and the wings would be 10%. Uh, a bird would be, you know, 90% wide and 10% wings. Uh, a boat propeller would be, you know, 90% hub diameter and 10% uh, blades. Uh, so there's not enough uh, surface there uh, with the ratio to the size of the, of the projectile, the head, whatever you want to call it, to actually create rotation. Um, the, 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 the average, the formula, the ratio would have to be the opposite of what it is to create rotation outside of what um, the, uh, the arrow is already doing with its, you know, uh, spinning from its, you know, helical in its veins. Okay. I've always thought that too, is like, man, you know, like a bra or arrow spinning with, is just spinning naturally because of the veins and everything. I'm like, um, you know, this, this single bevel, which I, I shot single bevels all year last year. Um, and I'm like, I, I just don't know how much I am buying into it twisting through. Cause I'm like, most broadheads are going to keep twisting in my, in my head. They're going to keep twisting through the animal, uh, just because of the momentum of the arrow going spinning. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're getting in, you're, be you're beating me to the punch here on your, on your single bevel. Cause I was going to ask you if you guys had ever thought about going with a single bevel. Well, I shot a single bevel a lot this year. Um, uh, and I shot one at the end of last season, uh, quite a bit as well and shot quite a few animals with a single bevel. Uh, and they perform great. What I'll tell you is, is that I shot left-hand bevel, single bevel heads with right, hard right helical arrows. Uh-huh. And no tuning problems or anything? Well, no, and they didn't untwist. They're supposed to untwist if they're spinning opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. I've never, you know, I've never actually tested that, but to yeah, I've, I just never have bought into that, but I've never tested it. So it's super easy I've always to taken... test. Take a, take a right-hand <laughs> right bevel broadhead and fletch, uh, fletch an arrow up with a hard left helical, shoot into a foam target. Yeah. And then pull it straight out. Yeah. And it never und undid on you or anything? No, it can't. Hmm. So... Um, anyway but there's nothing wrong with a single bevel head i, I think i've heard so many guys say oh well you hate single bevel heads i'm like no i i, I don't i've never said that I, I shoot them i love them they're great as long as they're sharp they work fine they just don't create rotation which if you're matching the rotation of your arrow anyway what does it matter right so but they just don't do that um the reason that I went with a double bevel blade uh, is because there's no way you can achieve the edge on a single bevel uh, um, edge and the strength like you can with a, you know, machined, uh, <laughs> you know, very high tech double bevel factory edge. 
it, mm-hmm. it, to me, the edge is stronger. It's going to retain its sharpness longer. Uh, you know, certainly more durable for rolling over. Um, and it's done in a very sophisticated way with sophisticated equipment uh, to achieve scalpel sharpness. That's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to achieve is scalpel sharpness, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I, I guess I'd like to bring you back to the bleeders then. Okay. Um, I see. I've been, uh, I've been, I've been du- you know, detouring you off the bleeders for thirty minutes now. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, I've always wanted to have the bleeders up on the front, like the old, um, uh, or like the dirt naps have, yep. and and I, I think having that extra cut going, you know, basically perpendicular to the actual blades, creating a bigger hole for everything else to pass through would help increase penetration. But again, I, you know, I, I've got limited testing with all that stuff. This is just coming from my own thoughts. What are your biggest reasons for wanting to have the bleeder up front? Okay. So, uh, number one, uh, to me, the reason to have a bleeder, uh, if it's not as wide as your, uh, your main blade, uh, mm-hmm. one of the main reasons to have a bleeder is to open up uh, a, a path and wound channel for the ferrule and the, uh, and the arrow shaft. So you reduce uh, friction and drag um, as it's passing through. Uh, same kind of concept with, you know, how our micro diameter arrows work. You have a, a little bit wider, you know, the widest point uh, of the arrow is right at the broadhead. Uh, where it meets the, the, you know, the outsert, and then everything behind that uh, is, uh, is a smaller diameter. So there's no contact. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're eliminating friction and drag. So to me, the most important reason for a bleeder is to open up that channel uh, for the, the, the ferrule and the, and the arrow behind it. So if you take that bleeder, and you stick it at the back of the broadhead, the ferrule has to open itself up with, uh, you know, pinch pressure and drag until it gets to that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's going to reduce, it's going to cr- increase friction, drag and reduce penetration. So that's one reason. Uh, the other thing is, is that when you take the bleeder and you slide it all the way to the back, now you don't have room to elongate uh, the bleeder to achieve that three to one low blade angle uh, that, you know, that you're wanting to create a slice effect instead of a chop effect. So when you put the bleeder at the back, the bleeder has to be super sharp front to back, really wide. And it's almost sticking straight out 90 degrees uh, to the ferrule and to the the path of the arrow. Uh, So what happens there is it's creating an incredible amount of drag being at that harsh perpendicular angle. Number two, uh, that angle is contributing to that bleeder dulling very, very quickly because it's chopping through hair and meat and all instead of slicing uh, mm-hmm. along its side. Um, and at that harsh angle at the back, it's grabbing material, you know, hair, meat, bone, and whatever, and it's dragging it through, killing penetration again. Now, we're cutting hairs. You realize that. I mean, I, I, I am. I was trying to design what I felt was the 
perfect broadhead and make, you know, 10% improvements across three or four things. So, mm-hmm. you know, those improvements would, you know, collectively add up to a better performing broadhead, you know? Um, right. So, I mean, it's not like, you, you understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that all these other things are bad. We're just trying mm-hmm. to make that finite tweak or improvement to, to have a really, you know, durable, strong, well-performing head. Uh, right. But we're doing it small increments at a time in different categories. Well, I, um, I, I'm interested in the fact that you haven't brought up the fact that you know, uh, for blood, um, or for increased wound channel, is there any, anything there? Obviously, in my opinion, having those bleeders is there, there's a reason they call them bleeders, um, is I wanted to get more of a consistent blood trail than a single bevel would leave. And I know there's a lot of factors that go in to blood trails and whether they leave blood trails, but I feel like leaving a little bit more of a hole would allow that blood to escape more consistently and more often than the single bevel that I was using this year, which I've never, um, I notice a big difference between the animals I shot last year and the animals I've shot with three blades in the past, uh, with the blood trails. That's right. Um, so what you're, what you're, what you're saying is all a hundred percent accurate. And it's not that you're, you're not really looking for that bleeder to be your, your saving grace and, and, and cut uh, that organ or artery or whatever that your main blades didn't because the odds of that thing rotating through and not cutting uh, mm-hmm. the main blade, not cutting are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. So, but there is that outside chance of course that the bleeder saves you, but it's very minuscule uh, amount of time. So, what you're saying is 100% accurate. What I like about a bleeder um, is that it's opening up a little larger path for blood to escape uh, and get on the yes. ground, okay? But if, it, if I have the choice of shooting a head that's got a poorly designed bleeder that, say, has a bad angle, harsh angle, um, and is going to restrict penetration to where I don't get a complete pass through, I'm going to choose a head without that particular bleeder. So mm-hmm. for me to design a bleeder, I've got to design a bleeder that's going to help open up a channel for blood loss, but it can't do it at the detriment uh, of penetration because to me, penetration and a pass through and two holes is what it's all about. I am a tool two-hole guy i had to be able to design a bleeder yes i want that bleeder to help open up that channel for wound loss uh you know for blood loss i mean but i don't want to do it to the detriment of penetration so to do that you've got to have a very very low blade angle like the main blade and if you look at our bleeder it has the same blade angle as our main blade it's it's elongated um it's, it's not aggressive blade angle at all, uh, and it's ahead of the ferrule, which is uh, opening up and, you know, uh, lessening the friction and, and actually improving the penetration. So if a bleeder improves performance, I'm all for it. If a bleeder is not properly placed or designed properly and restricts performance, I'm not for it. I'd rather just shoot a two-blade. 
Yeah. Well, have you guys thought about not going with a bleeder for folks that just don't want them and then doing a single piece construction, like basically just doing the body? No, um, no, because, um, um, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of in that camp to begin with to just build a two blade. Um, mm -hmm. that's what I've always liked, but I do know what the benefits of a properly designed bleeder are and i wanted to try to accomplish it if mm -hmm. i couldn't accomplish it that was going to be the first thing to go hmm. so again 10 gallons in a five gallon bucket something's got to spill over if mm -hmm. it, I, we couldn't get it all in there and the bleeder was one of the issues i would have eliminated it but once we got everything set up i was so happy with what we were able to, to achieve with the bleeder I almost mm -hmm. wouldn't want to get rid of it now. Right. Well, I, I personally would much rather have the bleeder, much farther have, rather have the bleeder just for my personal um, preference and experience with the animals that I've shot. I, I it, it almost gives me a peace of mind knowing that I'm increasing my likability of getting better blood or uh, blood sooner or more blood for a blood shell. Because over here at the coast, and I've talked to a few broadhead manufacturers like that literally said, we don't care about blood trails. If they fall a hundred yards from where you shoot them, who cares? That makes no sense. I'm like, well, you, you've never, you've never hunted the Oregon coast then, man. Like well, no, it took me no. if, if hours. Anybody that would say that is never bow hunted. Hmm. So I'll well, make that statement because, you know, if you're not, if you're not setting up uh, uh, a broadhead narrow system, to achieve a complete pass through and leave blood on both sides of that animal. You're not, you, you've mm -hmm. not bow hunted enough to know what you're talking about. And I, if you want to say I'm an <laughs> asshole for saying that, that's fine. I don't care. Um, that is, that is a cold, hard truth. We're not shooting animals with a gun. We're shooting them with a bow. They are going to run away. They are going right. to move from the time you release the arrow and the arrow gets there. So right. you better have you better have your stuff wired tight um, because you're going to have to follow animals and find them. And um, yeah, if you hit them right, I can't. T I mean, I can't tell you how many hundreds of animals I've shot that have not run 40, 50 yards and fallen over dead. That's that's right. the perfect shot. That's what we all strive for. But there's hundreds more that I've had to trail. Because they've moved, or I've made a poor shot. I'm, you know, we're humans. Yeah, it, it, it does. I've happen. seen. So you you've got to set yeah. yourself up for worst case, not best case. Right. That doesn't make any well, sense. I've seen. No, and and for me, I I you know I always go back to that. I've talked about it a few times. That bull I shot last year was in such thick stuff that it took me hours to find that bull. And granted, I was very um, very. Uh, I guess cautious about moving in on him because I didn't want to push him if he wasn't dead. Yep. Um, but at the same time, it took me um, probably about four hours to find a bull that went 60 yards. There was like two drops of blood. And I'm thinking I should have more blood than this. Um, you know, granted, it shouldn't be right where he's standing. I understand it takes a second for it to come out. But um, I ended up going about 50, 45 to 50 yards. And so I was like 10 yards from where that bull tipped over. 
and I didn't have a. Dr- I had two drops of blood about ten feet from where he was standing, about the size of a pencil eraser, and I didn't find one drop of blood between there and where he died. I'm like, maybe I didn't hit him where I thought I did. You know, like it, it felt like a slam dunk. But having you know more blood, I guarantee you, I would have probably made different decisions on the tracking because I was very confident with where I hit him. But when the blood starts. Well, maybe I didn't, you know. Um, so to me, blood blood trail is a very important aspect of a broadhead. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I'm not gonna. I, I could easily, easily transition off of of, of of what you just said there and describe. I could easily transition off of that story into a very crafty way to say this is why it would have been different with our broadhead, and this is why. Yeah. But, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to be very honest with folks. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the truth. The reason that there are 200 different types of broadheads out there to buy is the broadhead is the scapegoat of lost animals. It, it is, it is the whipping post for bow hunters. You lose an animal, I'm getting a different broadhead. So I'm glad it's that way because we're getting into the broadhead industry and it's going to help us sell them. But here's the, here's the true facts. Here's the cold, hard truth. You're not always going to hit them right. Sometimes you're going to hit them right. And it's just not in your favor. And, and you're going to miss uh, an artery or a, or a high blood, you know, capacity organ by a quarter of an inch. You're going to shoot through a, a perfect spot and you're going to miss you know, something that's going to produce a lot of blood. You could make that same exact shot on the same exact animal 10 times, you know, nine times more. And those nine times it'll gush. Um, Mm -hmm. There's times when, you know, a bull is at the end of a bugle and everything is compressed and collapsed and you hit him and you think, Oh, that's a 10 ring, you know, or an eight in the lungs. Well, you know, he may have these things. So, you know, compressed down, where you think you're hitting back along, you may miss it by an inch. Of course, he could be hmm. 30 seconds later, you know, drawing in and expanding his lungs, and he's just he's just increased his target by an inch. So there's too many variables, too many factors. You can take the same head and shoot it 10 different times and get 10 different results. So, I, I, you know, I want people to understand that. There's no magic bean. This is bow hunting. Shit's going to happen. That's why we love it so much. <clears throat> what you've got to do is learn from every one of these experiences and all of these animals that you're running arrows through. Mm-hmm. So why are we producing a head if that's true? I'll tell you, 100% I'll tell you why. We are built from the same cloth you are. We are obsessive about our stuff. We have an incredible amount of respect for the animals that we chase. And if we think that we can produce a head that is going to create, you know, increase our odds or increase our success by 1%, damn it, it's worth the investment to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, you know, we're just, that's the way we're built. And I'm a firm believer in increasing your odds, uh, no matter what, uh, 1% at a time. So, you know, let's say that our, our head is 5% better than 10 other heads out on the market that people commonly use. Let's say that our arrows 
by their design, everything there are 5% better. Well, let's say that there's some things that you can do or put on your boat that are going to increase your, your success by 5%. Well, if you do that four times, that means that instead of losing, you know, two out of five animals, you go back to losing one out of five or none. So if you can incre incrementally increase uh, the efficiency of your setup, small percentages at a time, it adds up. And I always look at it at, in volume because I shoot a lot of animals in the South. So if it means that I don't screw up on two out of 10 animals and I recover all 10, it's damn sure worth it to me. Right. Because one of those two could be the biggest animal in my life. And not that right. there's any more value uh, on that animal than the other, but it damn sure is going to, you know, reduce the amount of torture and and hardship and misery that i'm gonna put myself through afterwards if i lose them right well there's nothing there's nothing worse af after losing an animal and knowing that you could have done something more on your end yeah and you know like i just hate that and that's that's been a big reason why i've shot so much um and i've tested so or used so much and tried so much but really i've i've put an emphasis on my abilities and then using the gear to further expand my capabilities. And, uh, I don't know, man, I, I guess I, I totally agree with that there. And, and to build off of that, I guess with, with today's market and, and the climate of companies entering in right now, um, you know, for every one of your broadheads or every one iron wheels or name another premium broadhead out there, you know, there's, there's 20, gimmicky ones that are made with just crap parts and and just really good marketing you know i've always thought that the worse your product is the better your marketing has to be that's right <laughs> so um you know and, and you're seeing it right now uh, there's especially with the expandable uh market but um you know i i just appreciate what you've done with this head man and, and uh i guess in closing if if you had anything you wanted to say um uh, you know, bring it out, but it sounds like, it sounds like a good head and, and I'm giving this thing a lot of clout early on without even shooting it, but I'll definitely be buying a pack from you and, and doing my own testing with it and stuff. And, um, I, I know, I just appreciate the attention, the detail, man. I know what it takes to, um, to really go through all the finer, finer points and stuff. And it's just really, I really appreciate the detail on it. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, uh, certainly, um, challenging and frustrating getting to this point um but it was fun i mean I, i've enjoyed the process um i feel like every time i do this i'm getting a little better at um understanding kind of how to navigate uh these waters of, of getting things produced um and you know as we continue to to develop new products in the future. Hopefully it'll become maybe a little easier process for me where it's easier for us to get out uh, things to the consumer sooner instead of it taking so damn long. Because uh, a lot of it has to do with just my inexperience knowing how to, you know, to, to get some of these things done. Uh, and then of course, you know, having such a tight tolerance certainly doesn't help, but uh, right. it's, it's been a fun learning process. I'm enjoying it for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, one thing I would like to say for guys that are listening, I mean, uh, Aaron, Aaron 
you know, kind of teed me up before we got started, you know, about how many guys are going to want to be sponsored. Uh, <laughs> I, I had, I had no idea. Um, so, you know, there's so many people that reach out for us that just straight out ask, you know, for sponsorship, free stuff, discounts, you know, we're just not built that way. I mean, we're small. We're putting we're putting a lot of money into our into our product, so there's not a lot of margin there. Um, and you know, we're not a volume company, so we're not you know looking to strap names to our products and and um, you know um, and, and use that as a way to you know to move with you know uh, product. We're we're wanting the the actual you know, arrow and broadhead or whatever we produce to speak for itself. We want that to be the reason people buy it, not because they're getting a discount or somebody else with a big name is using it. And, um, and you know, and, and it's funny I say that because, you know, Aaron's a pretty influential guy in the industry. And, yeah, you know, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, and he's using it. But on the other side of the coin, he's not sponsored by anybody. Right. He turns down a rat load of money every year uh because he's not going down that path that's the that's the part of the industry that that he abhors you know he doesn't like it so uh, you know so i i you know i do have somebody like him shooting them but you know he is a he is a partner in the company he and i've done this together uh you know and we're doing it without you know giving away a bunch of stuff so I guess what I'm trying to say is just for the guys that are listening that have asked and I haven't been able to do it. Um, I would just say, you know, please, please understand why I don't want anybody to have any hard feelings because I didn't put enough value on their following or their, or their influence or whatever. That's not the case at all. We just can't do it, you know? And right. it, it's funny you know, I, I had somebody just last week, you know, sending me basically the standard email uh, that they they send everybody else. And then five minutes later, uh, I got the exact same email. Uh, but this time it was addressed to um, uh, SKB cases. So, You're shitting me. <laughs> uh -uh. So they basically had a form letter that they were sending that sounded so personal and so like it was written just to me and I felt so good about it. And mm -hmm. then the very next email was to SKB cases and they had just changed the name over, but the guy accidentally sent it to me again instead of, to, mm. instead of the SKB cases. And so I was like, man, this is really funny. Um, and then I had a guy basically, you know, four or five conversations trying to get, some kind of pro staff deal, you know, telling me how great our arrows were and how he, how he loved what we were doing and loved how our, you know, our, our corporate philosophy is. And of course he's never shot them. Um, and, and I told him I couldn't do it. And, you know, a week later, you know, he's building up another set of arrows with a competitor uh, talking about how they are the greatest, basically everything he said to me saying about those. So mm. I would just take this stuff with a grain of salt. Um, and the reason I'm saying all this is that I would, if I was a guy out there trying to, to learn, 
and trying to, you know, make yourself a better bow hunter and a better archer and understand your equipment. I would listen to guys like Garrett. I would listen to guys like Aaron that are, you know, buying what they want, using it, testing it, and testing it in a real world uh, scenario. And they're not just bought and paid for. Uh, the beauty is, Garrett, I think you're seeing this. I, th- I think the consumers are getting more sophisticated. And, and mm-hmm. I think more and more people are understanding that philosophy versus the, the you know, famous hunter endorsement plan. I I would definitely agree that the average consumer is becoming more, and, and probably because of podcasts and you know and guys like Aaron and stuff and and uh, I try and do it with my with my content, but on a smaller scale is is there's so much more information that is easier to get. The research is all being done for you by guys like like Aaron and like yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to put my myself in the same categories. I mean, he's 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 pretty much at the pinnacle right now for for guys that um, on a much larger scale, I guess. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I really he's one of the guys that I would listen to for for gear personally. Um, you know, I just the fact that he's not biased. I mean, <laughs> well, he's like a, he's such a much larger scale of me is what he is. Well, what I what I love so. about. Uh, number one being partners with Aaron, but number two being friends with Aaron uh, is that companies send him so much stuff. And if it's not the very best, I mean, in his mind, if it's not the, the very best, he's not going to use it. So hmm. when I go to his house, I go out in his garage and it's like somebody opened up a, you know, a, uh, a pro shop door and said, Hey, we're giving you a, you know, 30 minutes to do a mad scramble and pick whatever you want for free. I mean, Mm. I don't care how much stuff people send him. If it's not what he thinks is the best, he's not going to use it. And it, it just piles up in his garage. I've never seen anything like it. And you know what he does with all that stuff, Garrett, he gives it away. Hmm. He is the, I'm telling you, he is the most generous human being I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen someone, you know, that has such a generous heart that he does. Now it doesn't come across that way, you know, with his, you know, (laughs) demeanor and facade, but I'm telling you, man, he is a very, very generous human being. And I've never seen him. If you talk to the people that know him and are friends with him and you really start really talking to them, I'm telling you in very short order, you realize that, the boots they're wearing, Aaron gave them. The pack they've got, Aaron gave them. The clothes, Aaron gave them. I mean, arrows, bows, anything. Binoculars. You know, I mean, he's just the hmm. most generous person ever. And even people he doesn't know, he does the same thing. You know, if he sees a guy that can't afford or need, needs help, man, he helps him, you know? So, yeah. Well, I know guys here locally that he's helped. Um you know, with packs and stuff. And, and, uh, he's answered my questions with his packs back when I was looking at getting a, you know, one of those expensive packs. And, uh, the thing I like about him probably the most, just from my personal experience, not to, you know, do a, um, 20 minute thing on air in here, but, uh, is, is he's very reachable and I've tried, um, 
modeling my my myself with my content and my platforms of being as reachable as he is because it didn't matter what time of day it was he you know i could message him and i felt like he would message me back on facebook back when he was probably on facebook i'm guessing he's not on there anymore on some of the pages i was on but very 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 reachable and that was one of the things i wanted to 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 be when if i ever got to be that big is i want to be very reachable and always relatable you know i don't know how he does it I, i honestly do not know how he does it because you know, the guy, the guy has a work ethic that is unparalleled. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't sleep. Uh, he is very regimented. He gets however many phone calls, emails, texts, DMs in your mind you think he may get, you're not even close. Um, huh. And, you know, if you see him, he's always kind of hunched over. It's because he is constantly on his phone answering questions and talking, you know, to people helping them. Uh, you know, it's, I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's not a lot of people out there right now that are like him that will answer the same call message, whatever, from a guy he doesn't know, um, the same as he would with somebody he does know. I'll, I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. It's almost a disadvantage to know him. Because he feels like if he knows you and your buddies, he can get away with with putting you off. It's the people that he doesn't <laughs> know that he responds to immediately. You know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I, I could definitely I, see I just, that. I hope more guys like him uh, come to the surface. Uh, and I, and I consider you one of those same guys. I I consider the guys you know Cody and and Trent and Wes mm-hmm. and those guys at Born and Raised. I consider those guys the same kind of quality people. Um. Mm. And I hope more people like that rise to the surface in this industry because that's what it's going to take to to keep us afloat. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate that, man. And and uh, thanks for coming out and and I'll I'll be sure to do a review on it whenever you guys start selling them. So I guess with a couple final questions is where can guys get them and when will they ship? Yeah. So uh, day six gear. Um, you know everything will be on there. We will we will our Aaron will post on uh, social media. Uh, Instagram, whatever, um, uh, when we're going to uh, uh, have them ready to ship. Uh, our plan is to, uh, I don't know when this is going to release, but um, uh, our plan is to, um, you know, have them uh, loaded uh, up on the website by the end of next week and, and have them available and ready to go. That is the plan. Uh, okay. Uh, but I'm not going to do it unless everything is perfect, everything's just the way I want. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, one last question for you, Brian. How many arrows did you get through while we did this podcast? (laughs) Oh, let's see. (laughs) Almost 600. Holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) Not bad, huh? Uh, That's pretty good, man. You were rolling that thing pretty much the whole episode. You got me wondering. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. This is what I do. So, this is basically lunchtime. So, as you know, I run a construction company. So, and I've done that for 25, 26 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll usually come here uh, in the mornings, get myself kind of together, make, you know, see what I need to do today, what's most important. Uh, and then I'll, you know, go to work. And then I usually come here, you know, right around 11. And I usually spend my lunchtime here, uh, 11 to 1, uh, either. You know, working on bear shaft orders that guys have uh, that need to be cut, 
uh, or doing this, sorting arrows. And then I spend uh, uh, the early, like the early morning times on the weekends. Um, I spend them here doing this as well. And then try to get, try to get back home and get going once the, the family starts stirring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, all right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy, but um, yeah, looking forward to these heads, man. And uh, I'll try and get that arrow review up. Um, hopefully by the end of the weekend, if I don't kill a bear, it should be pretty easy to do it. Sounds good. So, all right. I'll see you later, man. Thanks, bud. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. If you haven't yet, please be sure to check out the onpointpodcast.com. So subscribe to the newsletter on there. And uh, I have, you know, it's not going to be spam. It's not going to be a bunch of emails that you don't care about. It's going to be what I'm up to, future projects, future videos, future podcasts. And then also, hopefully, if I can work with companies and finagle a way to get discounts for the listeners, um, would really like to give discounts for the gear that I believe in or the gear that I'm currently using so you guys can save some money. Um, you know, gear gets expensive after a while, so any 10, 15, 20% discounts, they, you know, they can add up, especially if you're buying lots of it and trying it out. So, as always, guys, I appreciate you uh, listening to the show, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.